0: Let me pray for us and we'll read this passage together. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us that it is available in Christ. And Lord, I pray tonight as we think about kind of the culmination of a semester in talking about relationships and and sexuality and friendship and the brokenness that exists in our own life and in others' lives and and how sin is real and how it's, it's destroying us and how it is destroying the world and lots of things. And yet, Lord, we've seen how Jesus is your answer for sin and its destruction. And I pray again tonight that we would see that, that as we contemplate dating and kind of the beginning of a romantic relationship, we pray that that we would see how relevant Jesus is to this topic. And I pray for all of us that are here, certainly from different walks of life and different places on this topic. Some of us are brand new. Some of us are uh, ashamedly far along. Help us, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 19. This is the Word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word just means satisfactory payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Tonight at RUF, we're, we're going to actually talk about Starbucks cups. <laughs> Just kidding, we're not. I, we're never, ever going to talk about that. It's the stupidest thing ever. I haven't even, I don't even know what it's about. It's so stupid. Um, what we're doing this week and next week is we're bringing the whole semester uh, not to a close, but to kind of a cumulative climax Um, And what we're doing and what we've been talking about all semester, as I've mentioned, is is relationships and and the fall and how it's affected our relationships, but also how Jesus has come to restore us and to send us out into relationships in hope and joy, uh, hopefully. Um, but, But part of the nature of when you start talking about dating in the Bible is that it gets hard because the Bible doesn't talk about dating and so what I'm going to seek to do is to skim some from what has been built throughout this whole semester and, and apply it tonight, kind of bring it to bear tonight, and then take this passage and apply it to those things, okay? So let me throw this story at us to get started. Last week, Sarah and I, well, actually, for longer than that, Sarah and I have become obsessed with uh, this show called Fixer Upper. Um, we got some supporters out there? Great. So um, Fixer Upper is this couple from Waco, Texas, who they... Go figure it they, Yeah, B. that's right. Um, you you babysat for them or something, right? Ridiculous. So Bee's famous, and um, she babysat for Chip and JoJo, who they take these old houses and they fix them up. And, you know, it's one of those stories that it's like rags to riches except with a house. And so, um, and make people's dreams come true because that's what happens when you get a house. But um, anyway, Sarah and I are fascinated by this show. So much so that we thought... Well, maybe it's about time we go find a, sh- a house like that and fix it up. So um, we, got, we got on Zillow and, you know, search around. And there's this house that we find that we love and, and it's expensive. And um, so we think, well, we would like to maybe try and do that. Of course, we're going to have to lowball them. But the biggest problem about us getting that house is that we already have a house and um, that we haven't sold it. In fact, we haven't listed it. And it's not even ready to be listed. But there's this beautiful little thing on Zillow. Zillow is an app uh, that once you are my age, you obsess over it. It's just real estate. It shows you houses for sale and all this. But there's this thing on Zillow called Make Me Move. And what makes me move is, is uh, this, this function where you just kind of name a price, you fill out the details about your house, how big it is, bedrooms, bathrooms, all that stuff, put the best pictures up, and you just put a number out there. And, so, and essentially what you're saying is, if you'll pay this, so in our case, $7 million, if you will pay this, you can have our house. So last Sunday night, uh, we did this and kind of nervously hit click, not knowing what was going to happen, if there was going to be a flood of emails or what. There wasn't. Um, But we hit click, and we kind of sat there. And uh, the next day, Sarah and I were talking about this, and what was interesting is we were just like, well, so, so what do we do now? Because are we saying that, if, if, if we go to like start fixing up our house to get it ready to sell, that it's worth more than $7 million? Or like will we adjust the price? Are we saying this is as is? Like if you come to our house and you like this, then give us $7 million and it's yours. What are we saying with make me move? And at the end of the day, we don't know. We, we have no idea. <laughs> we don't know what it means. And I think that's what we think about dating. That we really don't, know kind of what it means. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know if it's like, okay, if if I say this, and we kind of agree that we're this thing, does that mean we do this and can do that or, or not? Or what do we do with dating? The reason I think it's confusing, it kind of leads us to this predicament, is because all relationships are begging for definition. They're begging for some sort of clarity that says, here's what this is, and based on this definition, this is how you function in this relationship. Think about a parental relationship. Uh, You have parents, and that means, at least biblically, means certain things. It means that you should take care of your children, actually for everyone. You should take care of your children and feed them, and children should respect parents and these kind of things. And parents, raise the children and send them off to come to T.U. and be smart. Or you're smart and then you get into you and continue to be smart. Um, Sibling relationships look a certain way. Friendships kind of have uh, rules and expectations about them. A boss and employer relationship, right? There are certain parameters that we understand because all relationships are begging for explanation. But when it comes to dating, the Bible at least doesn't say, here's what to do with this. Because in that culture, and throughout all of the cultures that are encompassed in the Bible, they didn't do this thing that in America we call dating. They did, there were arranged marriages, there were lots of other kind of things, but they didn't date in this way. And so we're left kind of to apply general biblical wisdom to this topic. So what I want to do tonight... Actually, before, before I say that, the reason... Nah, 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 take these words back. Because this is what's true about dating, we don't know what it is, and we don't know what to do. My conviction, both from my own experience before I was married, but also in being in college ministry for a long time, is that this leads us to a lot of anxiety and fear and uncertainty about what to do. It leads to a lot of fear about who am I and how do I move forward, either pursuing someone or letting someone pursue me? Do I say yes or no? What about all of this? So, what I'm going to do is I want to kind of name some of those fears that are there when it comes to dating. I want to just call them out and say, this is what you guys are feeling. I talked to you. I know what you're going through. And then what I want to do is take this passage and see how the love of God in Christ begins to overcome those fears and allow you to move forward in dating, hopefully, in a joyful and hopeful way. So let's talk about them one after another. I don't have them on the screen tonight, so if you can't get one of those little white papers, I'm sorry. That's where the outline is. Um, My kids put a passcode on my iPad, and I have no idea how to unlock it. So um, (laughs) true true statement. Um, The fears we have, this list is not exhaustive. It's representative. First fear is the fear of being alone. It's the fear of being alone. Now, why are we afraid of being alone? I want to suggest, based on things we've talked about, you can go back and listen to the podcast, based on things we've talked about, is that because we are made in God's image, we have this right and good desire to never be alone. God Himself is a trinity. He is a plurality of being. He is a self-existing relationship. And when He creates mankind in His image as He did, we are created for relationships. Okay, of all kinds certainly. But I would say explicitly for many of us, that means that we will have an intense longing and desire for a marriage relationship. A relationship of mutual completion and satisfaction. We will long to be married to someone else. We rightly desire someone else's company. We rightly desire sex. God made us for these things. They are good. And dating, fortunately or unfortunately, is our culture's way of getting to marriage. So what do we do? We have a fear of being alone because sin alienates us from people. Sin, whenever it came into the world in Genesis chapter 3, way long ago, one of the very first things we see is that people go running from each other. And they go into hiding. And not only are they running from one another and hiding from one another, they're running from God and they're hiding from Him. Sin alienates us from others. It is affecting us. And it alienates others from us. You do and will hurt people Over the course of your life, and people do and will continue to hurt you because they are sinful. Because you are sinful. That's the reality. And because of that, we have this fear of being alone, and yet sin makes us want to be alone because of shame. So it's really this kind of very complicated thing. And so what do we do? What I want to do with this is talk about the fear and then say kind of, well, if that's true, where do we run? Where do we try and cope? How do we try and deal with this? The first thing that I think we do to try and deal with this is we run to social media. Texting, snappies, Insta, whatever. Um, I know, I speak the language of the young kids. Um, Social media gives us the appearance of not being alone, doesn't it? We're all nodding. Yes. It feels good when we get 100 likes, or in my case, 7 likes. It just feels good to be affirmed. It gives us a sense of being and belonging and that I'm not alone. Good grief, we crave this so badly, don't we? So we go to social media. We think it's going to help. It doesn't always. Sometimes it does, but it's temporary, so you have to keep putting up more pictures and keep sending more snappies. Um, I'm just going to keep saying it. Another thing we do because we fear to be alone is we date. We jump right into relationships. We obsess about people liking us because we, are, <laughs> because we are terrified of being alone. And when someone likes us, we seek to put them on lockdown as quick as possible. We seek to put them on lockdown as quick as possible. It's like a dog marking his territory. It's like, this is my spot. Don't touch it. This is my girlfriend. I know I've only known her for three weeks, but she's my girlfriend now. You guys stay away. We're going to talk more about this next week. But we run, uh, there's an old, uh, we, we run to the comfort of names and of, of titles in dating relationships because they give us this false assurance that we're not alone anymore. There's this old Volkswagen commercial where... Um, this guy was tired of other people coming and driving off with the car that he was looking at. And so finally, he gets to a car and he licks it. He's like, this one's mine. You can't have it. As if to say that would deter other people. It might. Hopefully, you're not licking people. But the things that we do in dating kind of serve that same effect. Like, don't get near. I put my mark on this person. So there's a right way to date, and there's a way to date out of insecurity of being alone. That's what I'm talking about right here. Dating is good. I'm pro-dating. We'll talk about it next week. The second fear we have is that we fear being known. So we fear being alone. Second, we fear being known. Why do we fear being known? Because, again, we're going to go back to our favorite little scene in the Bible. At the fall, we see Adam and Eve run and hide from each other and from God. They were naked and ashamed. They used to be okay with who they were in their physicality, in the sense of their their thought life and their emotional life. They were okay with each other and who they were. But all of a sudden, when they rebel against God, just as God had promised everything starts to fall apart. And they are terrified that someone else will be close to them and know them. And this fear is real for us too. And it goes like this. If someone, this guy, this girl, gets to know the real me, they won't like me. When they find out that thing about me, they won't love me. They'll think and realize that I'm too ditzy or too nerdy or too insecure or too needy or too sexually broken or too poor or too rich or too unsure about my life or too boring or too average. And when someone gets to know that that is true about me, they'll leave and then I'll be alone alone. Friends, we fear being known. And because that is true, we do things like this. We we kind of let people in. We let people in to a certain degree. But when it gets too scary, we break up. There's a show, um, a game show when I was growing up called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I think it's hopefully it's not still being syndicated, is it? Oh, gosh. Uh, They need to kill it. Um, But it was a cool show because it was this real live moment of tension between, like, okay, I've I've got this and I've got this much, but do I risk what I've got for what I might have? Right? And so the moment, like, ah, no, I'm taking it off the table. I'm going home. Everybody cheers for you, but they're mad at you because you didn't really go for it. In dating, that happens, too. As we get to know one another, there's that moment of, like, well, we've been together for four months, and like they kind of know all my four-month game. <laughs> I've I've let them in enough. I've let them know this stuff, but we're starting to run out of stuff to talk about. And really, the next stuff to talk about is this really scary stuff. And so there's that moment of like, do I do I call it a, do I call it good and and break up and say this has been fun? God's telling me I need to break up with you. That's what I used to say. It's terrible. Um, or Do we power through that and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to reveal deep things about me and I don't know what you're going to do with that. Most times what we do is we do that. If your relationships all last about four months and then they end, you are terrified of being known. This is what you're doing. The second thing we do, and this may sound counterintuitive, is this, that we let people know us physically. We let people get to know us physically. Because what we've realized and decided is that if I can give someone parts of my body, that makes me feel close to them. That gives me this semblance of being known. And for some of us... Myself, that's why I said us. That is easier. Giving ourselves to people physically is easier than them seeing what's actually inside that we're most terrified about. And so we create this false intimacy, this false sense of being known. But here's what happens when this goes on. We talked about a couple of weeks ago... You, God has created us sexually, and He's created our bodies, and He's created sexuality to say something. And I mentioned that we, if we keep doing this in relationships, we forget what, it, what it's even saying, what it's supposed to be communicating. But another thing that happens if, if we choose to be known this way is that it never actually deals with the other stuff. And so if you're in a dating relationship where really the the driving force, the engine to your relationship is the physical stuff, and you're not ever talking about the scary stuff of your heart and of your life and the fears and all of that, then it is entirely possible that you are fooling yourselves into thinking that you are close and that you maybe should even be married. Because you have this false sense of we know each other, look at us, look at what we're doing, we're having sex, or we're not having sex, but we're getting really close, or we're making it, whatever it is that y'all decided you're doing, it creates a false sense of intimacy. And if we're never looking at this stuff over here, you are fooling yourself to think that it's going to go away. Because here's what's happening. That stuff will end up being the stuff that shapes your life, and it will show up in marriage. 100% take it to the bank, guarantee you it will. And friends, it will not be pretty. If you get married or you end up dating long-term with someone who you have decided you are sectioning off parts of your life from them, if you continue to pursue that relationship, it will ruin you, if not ruin both of you, and make you miserable. Promise you, promise you. I'm not saying that you have to talk about all of this within the first four months at all. I'm saying there is a definite time to, un, to unload. <laughs> to, to, I call it back up the dump truck, like beep, 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 and it tilts up and you start just unloading on them. There's a time for that, right? We'll talk about it next week. But, but the physical thing will totally throw this off. We fear being known. We try to be known. It's not working. Third fear is we have a fear of being changed. We have a fear of being changed. Why do we have a fear of being changed? Again, back to our favorite scene in the Bible, the fall. We fear being changed because we love to be in control. Oh, my gosh, we love to be in control. Satan came to Adam and Eve and offered them this. He said, hey, um, did God really say this over here? And Eve kind of said, well, yeah, yeah, kind of ish. And He said, look. The reason God is saying don't eat of this tree is because He doesn't want you to be like Him. You do want to be like Him, right? You want to be in control, right? Yes, I do. Adam, it all goes, it all goes down. Because they wanted to be in control. They wanted to be God. And you and I do too. We love control. We love planning is what we call it. We love organizing. We love, um, and here's where this comes into play in dating, that even getting started in a relationship which might potentially one day lead to something that might be somewhat serious at all is the most terrifying thing in the world to some of you because you have such an idolatry of the control that you think you have on your life. And you are paralyzed by even going on a date with someone or going on a second date with someone, or asking someone on a date, or asking someone on a second date, because in your mind you're like seven years ahead. It's like, well, but what happens if he wants to move to Hawaii, and I'm like over here, and, what, you know, and you've got this like matrix system of Excel spreadsheets about a date. And it's because you are broken, and you love control, and God needs to come in and take that from you. We love control. We fear being changed also because we're self-centered. We really just love ourselves. We love ourselves. And this is kind of at the heart of what happened in the fall. Man sought autonomy from God. We sought control. And when those relationships of love were broken with each other and with God, that love turned inward. Because love has to go somewhere, and it went inward. And friends, we fall in love with ourselves. And for some of you, that actually looks like self-hatred. And if you want to talk to me about why I would say that, please do find me. It's, it's important. But some of us, we all love ourselves. And this manifests itself in dating in this way, that I'm terrified that if I get to know someone and they get to know me, they're going to want to change me and change things about me. And I don't want them to do that because I love me. I spent 18 to 22 uh, 22 years with me, and I'm kind of getting used to it. And I want to do this with my career, so that's another five years. So we're at 27, and by that time, I'm really going to love myself. And, right, you start to see what happens here. So what do we do with this, the things that we do because we have a fear of being changed? First is we don't date. We don't date. We're terrified of dating. Or at least we don't date until we get our life in order you know, the whole control thing again. We want to be financially stable. I want to be... This stuff sounds so good, y'all. I get it. I I totally get it. It sounds so noble and so stable and so good. It's what your parents are telling you to do. I need to be financially stable. I need to get locked into a good career, at least one where I can advance a little bit. Um, I need to get things under me. Maybe I'll get a pet first to prove to the world that I'm responsible. Um, We have these markers of what we think it means to be grown up and responsible and therefore at the time of dating. And it's crazy. Because what happens is the further along we get and the further, the more time you get just to exercise love for yourself, the more and more you're going to start looking for someone who looks like a puzzle piece to fit your life. And if you have, some of you have siblings, many of us have friends, and certainly we can look at the culture and just see the epidemic of 30-somethings and 40-somethings who kind of would, would love to be married as an idea, But but practically, because they have built up the idea of dating in this way, there's really nobody who can do this for them. No one can fit into their life because, guess what? Other people have their own dreams and desires. They love themselves, and that's going to be a problem. Another thing we do is, um, it kind of leads into that, is we do this thing called a soulmate, which makes me crazy. (laughs) Because it's not a per, it's, its not even worth calling a person. The th- soulmate is a thing. It's a unicorn. It's a perfect round of golf. It's ice cream that doesn't melt. It doesn't exist, you guys. A soulmate is not a real thing. I- I'm so sorry. It's not. What are we supposed to do then? Date. We're going to talk about next week. You, you, I, all of us look for someone. We want someone who says. Sure, honey, whatever you want. I would love, love to rub your feet. I would love to give up my Saturday to do your list. I would love to give you my income. Yes, you can do with that what you want. I would love to spend the rest of my life serving you. Friends, that is not called a soulmate. That is called Jesus. And the more you are looking for Jesus in someone else, the more disappointed you are going to be in that someone else. Okay, off the soapbox on soulmate. The fourth fear you have is being committed, which I realize is not what dating is, but it's what dating uh, leads to. So why do we fear commitment? Right here, we fear being stuck in a relationship that's going to look like the ones that we see around us. Man, isn't that true? We fear commitment because for so many of us in this room, in this massive culture of divorce that we have in front of us, many of us, half in this room, are looking and saying, you're dang right I'm terrified of dating, I'm terrified of marriage, because I lived in a place where that did not work. And I saw my parents and I listened to the fights from, from one door over, and I watched what my mom said to my dad and what my dad did to my mom. And quite frankly, it's just not worth it. We fear being hurt like the people we saw around us being hurt. And this paralyzes us. We fear that there's actually something better out there. And we fear commitment because we wonder and we, we're terrified that if I actually commit to this person, what if there's a better person than i meet 15 years later? Would I leave this person to go chasing after that? What if I don't meet my soulmate? doesn't exist. What do I do? I'm, ter- I'm terrified of committing myself, I'm terrified of getting stuck. And so the things we do with this fear, again, is we don't date ever. It's too much pain, too much risk involved. Another thing we do is we become cynical about relationships ever working. And I think this is a real spot for a lot of us. We live in a culture where it is really in, it is really popular to be outraged and cynical. I don't know if y'all know that. <laughs> Newsflash. Watch the news. Watch the stories that come across your feed. Listen to people talk. It is cool. It is fun to be outraged and to be cynical about everything. And when we see things fail, it's really easy to be cynical about that. And so, when we've seen all these relationships and marriages fail, it's really easy to be cynical about that. And I get it. It's hard. Marriages are not are not easy. Dating is not easy because we are sinners. We are all broken. And friends, when you have two broken people going to the other person saying, Will you fix me? Will you complete me? Will you make my life work? Will you make me have all an unending joy? If you are going to someone else to get that, you will be disappointed, and you probably should never get married. That's a little strong. Marriage will be hard. So what do we do with these fears about dating? This passage tonight that we looked at, if you want to look back down at it, in verse 18 it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So am I saying that the answer to the fears that you have about dating and maybe one day marriage and romantic relationships at all, am I saying that the answer to these fears is that you have to love someone perfectly? Absolutely not. Impossible. You can't do it. You are broken and sinful. You can't do it. You won't do it. That's not what I'm saying. It can't be what I'm saying. You will struggle to love anyone well, (laughs) much less perfectly. So what am I saying? I'm saying that perfect love is not something you do. Perfect love that drives out fear is somebody that you know. Perfect love is not something you do. It is somebody that you know, and his name is Jesus. Look at what John is trying to drill into our minds in this passage. It's like he's got a sledgehammer and he's saying, God is love. And and this is how we know that God is love because look what he did. He sent his son into the world to be a payment for our sin so that we could be freed up to then be transformed into people who can love one another. And then when we love one another, then God's love is made manifest through us. And the world around us will know that God is love because of the way we love one another. It is the perfect love of God that casts out the fears in your heart. It is not your perfect love or someone else's perfect love for you that can do that. It is only the perfect love of God. And friends, that is what is offered in the gospel is Jesus, the perfect love of God given to you. And when that becomes real in your life, when Jesus becomes the most defining thing about who you are, the fact that the God of the universe loves you in all of your frailty and insecurity and sexual sin and brokenness and all that, when you realize that God loves you, that drives out the fears that you have about someone else potentially starting to love you. So let's take that perfect love and let's work right back down through this list. So how does perfect love affect our fear of being alone? Right here. Jesus is Emmanuel. We sing it at Christmas time. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You want to know what that word means? God with us. If you have Jesus, you are no longer alone. God is with you, and he will never leave you and never forsake you. And when that becomes true in your life, I'm not saying it's going to make dating easy, but what it will do, it it will allow you and free you up to ask someone out on a date and not be paralyzed by whether or not they say yes or no. It will allow you to say yes if someone asks you out on a date and not be paralyzed by whether they say, will you go out with me again? Because guess what? You're not alone anymore. The God of the universe has taken up His residence in your heart. Perfect love casts out the fear of being alone. What about the fear of being lone, of known? Perfect love says you are known. Scary much so. You are known in every corner and crevice of your life. And the God of the universe says, I know you right down into that place and I love you. I do not love it, but I love you. Friends, you are so much more known and accepted by God in Christ than you could ever imagine or fear. But that frees you up more than you could ever dream. And What that means in dating is that because you have been known by God and accepted, over time you can begin to unravel and un- unroll the stuff in your life before someone else. And even if they say, Ugh, I'm out. Even if they say that, you're not crushed. Why? Because the God of the universe has said, yeah, I already knew that and I'm staying. Perfect love is driving out your fear of being known. What about the fear of being changed? Perfect love gives you the freedom to change. Look, you guys, even though you love yourself a lot, there are lots of things about you that you don't love and that you would love to change. And what God says is, I'm going to come in there, and not only am I going to give you permission to change, I'm going to start changing you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, who's His number one worker, into your life and to start cleaning up the crevices and the cobwebs of your heart. And He does it, and He changes you, and He makes you into something so much more beautiful than you could ever imagine or dream. And what that means for your dating is that you can get into a relationship knowing that you are going to change. And that God might actually be using this other person to change you into something more beautiful than you are. That's what marriage is. It's, it's a built-in sanctifying change agent sent by God to make you something more beautiful than you were. What about the fear of being committed to something? Friends, perfect love has committed Himself to you. You begin to understand that when, when you begin to understand that God in Jesus has looked and said, I'm not going anywhere. I am with you. The Bible's controlling metaphor for how it talks about Jesus' love for His church is not that Jesus is the boyfriend and the church is the girlfriend. It's that Jesus is the groom and the church is His bride. It is a marriage. And what happens in marriage? You say to the other person, I am not going anywhere. I'm committed to you, every aspect of you. All that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. That's a crappy deal for Jesus and that's the best deal in the world for you. Jesus is offering you a commitment that you can't even imagine. And so in a dating and marriage relationship, you can finally be free to say, Okay, you can have me. Okay, I am going to choose you. And I don't care about the other possibilities out there because Jesus isn't still caring about the other possibilities out there. He cares about you. Perfect love drives out your fear, and the perfect love of God is available to you in Christ. And friends, this is the good news of the gospel, is that you can't do anything for it. You're not perfect. You can't buy that love. It's too pricey. So what does God do? He gives it to you. It's a gift. Do you want it? It's available tonight, right now, where you sit. Will you take Jesus and let Him transform your fears? Let's pray together.